Welcome to Start, Scale, Sustain, a story-driven podcast for nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurs. I'm your producer, Molly Heacock, and I'm here today with co-founder and CEO of Care for AIDS, Justin Miller. Thanks, Molly. Today, we're going to talk about something that is integral to doing anything that has great value, which is to, to build the right team around you to do it. And typically, things that don't require a team are probably not that significant because typically the, the best achievements and the greatest uh, things that impact our world require a pretty large team. So I want to talk about how we've continued to, to learn about uh, our team and uh, the things that we struggle with along the way. So this is our, our final episode in the sustain phase of the podcast. We've gone through the startup phase, the scaling phase, and now we're finishing out how to sustain with teams, which like you said, is one of the most important parts of long-term organizational health. So kick us off. How do you choose who's on the team? How do you keep them on the team? What is the secret of teams? Well, obviously Care for AIDS has built a team now numbering 130 people, but I also wanted to talk today as we talk about these practices, I wanted to take them down and talk about a time when I was part of a, a very successful team and everyone has been part of some really bad teams and probably some really good teams as well, where you felt like you were engaged and your skills are being used and you really love the people that you're on that team with. Uh, for me, one of those times was uh, when I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, actually, I was 18 years old and had just finished high school and um, probably the best graduation present you can ever get is a trip to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And that was what my dad and I were going to do to celebrate this milestone. And so we, we fly over to Tanzania and this is the first time I'd been on African soil. And we show up at our meeting point f to meet the team that's going to be helping us go up the mountain. And there are 10 people there assigned to help my dad and I summit this mountain, which blew me away. You know, I thought, what, why in the world would it take that many people to get us up this mountain, which was 19,340 feet. And I saw this team function in such a way over the next seven days that I just draw so many parallels to it. And it was led by an amazing guy named teacher. And at the time he had summited over 250 times and has since passed the 500 mark. So this guy had definitely been walked in that place before us and was a great person to lead us up this mountain and uh, to to spoil the end of the story, we did make it. And I think that's why I love drawing the parallels between this team that worked so well together. They understood their roles. They understood how to communicate and a lot of things that helped us get to the top of the mountain. So as we talk about some of these practices today, I want to just draw some parallels between um, these practices in the care for AIDS context, but also what it looked like when you're taking on such a high risk activity, like trying to summit a mountain and, and where I see the parallels. Yeah, there's nothing like a, a life or death situation to help you understand what works as a team and what doesn't. Um, so yeah, take it away. Tell us what did you see that worked really well and how, how have you taken those principles and applied them to Care for AIDS? Well, the first thing, Molly, is seems pretty obvious, but that you have to recruit the right people and you have to select the best talent possible to join your team. And one of the challenges of this for us has been trying to recruit people onto the team, not based on where we are today, because 
in just a matter of six months, that person may not still have the ability um, and the capacity to be able to, to rise to the standard where we are today. And so you really need to recruit people of a higher caliber and higher capacity for where you want to go than for where you are today. And it's not easy to, to sell somebody on the vision of why they should join a team that they feel is uh, not maybe up to the level of where they're at, but to, to try to cast a vision for where we're going and how we're going to get there. And for us, there's a, there's a kind of a, a rubric for thinking about how the kind of people that you want to join your team. And, and we didn't create this, but I think it's, it's one of the frameworks. It's it may seem a little bit simplistic, but I think it's the, a good starting point to think about the right people on the team. And there's just three C's um, that help us to think about this. The first is their character. And this goes back to the conversation we had about cultures that do they possess the character um, and the values that align with our organization? And are they just a person of, of good character? And can we trust them? Because trust is so important for a team to be able to function together. And that's no more evident than on a mountain where you're trusting people with your life. Um, the second thing is just competence is can they do the work that they're being asked to do? And you really, um, you know, obviously you can hire some people and equip them to do some of the skills, but they have to have the ability to, to learn and grow and to be able to fulfill the position that you want them to fill. And then the last one is, is the chemistry piece of, you know, can we work together as a team? If we don't have that, then we really will see morale suffer and there will be a very um, toxic environment created if we don't like um, the people that we work with. So we use that as, as, as a quick filter to talk about, um, is this somebody that can be a good fit on our team? And this is, you know, what we happened, you know, what happened when we were on the mountain as well. We had this team of 10 people that were experienced. They, they trusted each other. They had good chemistry with each other. And another part of building a team is getting the right uh, type of diversity on your team because you need different perspectives and backgrounds and experiences to help the team reach its full potential. And that was true of our team on Kilimanjaro as well. We had people that had background in the cooking piece and someone to help lead the porters and someone to help us navigate the, uh, the, the face of this mountain. And there was just a bunch of people that brought a diverse set of, of skills to the team. And so when I looked around this 10, this group of 10 people who were going to help us up this mountain, I felt a lot of confidence that we had gotten the right people around us to help make this climb a successful one. So you recruit the right people. That's obviously huge. Just getting, getting the right people in the room. Um, but once you've hired everyone, what's the next step of creating a great team? Well, I think a lot of people stop there. It's like, well, if we get the right people around the table, then they should just naturally know how to work together and solve problems and host great meetings. But that couldn't be any further from the truth. You actually have to then not only recruit the right people, but then you have to actually equip the team uh, to do the work of a team. And there are some individual skills that are required to work well with the team. There's some team skills that are required. Uh, as an organization, we've worked a lot on how do we solve problems together? I don't think a lot of people understand that there is a process you can go through to try identify or to really define the problem that you're trying to solve and then identify possible causes that might be leading to that problem. And then once you've identified the right causes, then go in to talk about the 
possible solutions that we might be able to engage and then to identify that and assign accountability to do those actions and then do the follow-up and monitor the progress on how you're doing. And we could talk about that in another episode, but the, there is a problem solving process that teams need to know, be able to know how to work through. And if they haven't been trained on how to do that, it's really hard. Uh, teams also have to know how to have great meetings. I mean, so many people are, their souls are dying in meetings that don't need to happen. The meeting, uh, you know, I've heard it said that, you know, uh, I've seen a coffee mug before that says, you know, this meeting should have been an email or something like that. I mean, that is so true of our culture today, but if you're going to gather your people and use all of that time and energy and resources to have meetings, are they really productive meetings? And there's a lot that you can teach teams in terms of how to do that. And obviously communication is, is really important. How do we, you know, how are we going to communicate as a team together? Do we have a clear common purpose that we're working towards? And does everybody know their individual roles and expectations in pursuit of that common goal? And these are just things that you have to be able to equip your team to do really well. And I think on our climb for Kilimanjaro, that was, that was no different. It was, you know, we had a a guide who was really adept at communicating to us and telling us you're going too fast. You're going too slow. Are you drinking enough water? He was constantly communicating with us so that we would um, be aware of what was going on. He had been there before. So he understood the pitfalls that we might face. Um, I, I thought it was so fascinating on our climb that they, when we went to the summit of the mountain, they had us climb at night, uh, from midnight until 7 AM. And he said, one of the reasons why they do that is because if people are climbing during the day, they will be so overwhelmed by the mountain ahead of them that they won't be able to make it to the top. And so you have to, as the leader, he was that always that voice of encouragement to us, but he was also the guy that was looking out for us and saying, okay, I need to know that my people may lose heart if they go to this summit during the day. And so I'm going to, to, to lead them in such a way where I can uh, protect them and, and keep them healthy. And just the list of things goes on and on. He was really good at saying to all of the team members that were helping support the climb, these are your expectations. Hey, you're going to go and you're going to set up camp and you're going to prepare this meal. And, you know, Justin, you know, you guys are going to have to get up and we're going to hike for three hours tomorrow. And then we're going to stop and then we're going to hike three more hours. And he, he just did a great job of, of communicating expectations, helping us kind of anticipate challenges and encouraging us through those challenges. And, uh, so many examples, but this idea of once you've recruited the team, you've got to equip the team with the skills that they need um, to be able to function well as a team. And that's something that's often overlooked. Yeah, I think um, even when organizations do take that next step to equipping that team um, and that team starts working really well together, that tends to be where people stop. I mean, it, you could have an exceptional organization if you've got the right people in the room and those people know how to communicate and they know their expectations and they're operating just on a really high level. But there's another step that you can take to create a really good team. Um, and what is that, that kind of final step to make the best team possible? Well, you're right, Molly. Once you have like the right people around the table and you've given them some of these skills, people kind of think that's, that's what makes a great team. But the truth is the best teams, 
they really function more like a family than they do a team. And that you have to be able to foster that family dynamic. And some people would say that, no, I think you should, you know, keep your, uh, your, your work and your social life and your friends and your family, those two are separate. They're not integrated, but I've found that I'm most effective when the people that I'm working with, uh, I know them, they know me and we trust one another and our relationships not always, uh, go outside of work, but a lot of times, um, the people that I am friends with outside of work are those that I work really well with, uh, inside of the workplace as well. And so we, talk about this family dynamic, or some people might say community is something that, um, we've defined using a, a definition that I think was first created by Willow Creek community church. And they said that, that a community is a place where people know and are known. They are, they serve and are served. They love and are loved and they celebrate and mourn together. And that's such a simple definition, but I think it's, it's complete in the sense that it, covers exactly what it is to kind of have that family dynamic. And we've tried so hard to be that place where people are known, people are loved, people, people are served and we celebrate and mourn together. I could tell uh, 10 stories about how that has played out within the culture of care for AIDS. But a couple of those that are really important to me are, uh, for example, this serve and are served. We, have so many staff that have come on really hard times in their life. And we could say, no, this, that's a distinct part of your life. And it's not our responsibility as an organization to help intervene there. But I think of Duncan on our team, one of my co-founders, there was a time in his life where his, his wife gave birth to triplets extremely prematurely. And he lost one of those babies and the other two were, uh, very close to losing their lives as well. And they were in the NICU at one of the most uh, expensive and premier hospitals in Africa for eight weeks. And there was Duncan's insurance was insurance was not going to cover that. And he, he accrued this bill that would have taken him a lifetime to repay. And there were times in this process where they said, if you can't settle your bill, then we're going to remove your children from the hospital. And it probably would have meant the end of life for his kids. And so we just saw the entire Care for AIDS family, the staff in Kenya, the donors in the U.S., the U.S. team just pooled our resources together to help completely pay for this bill that Duncan had and allowed him to go home with his babies debt free. And they were in a very healthy place. And now they're three years old and we're just seeing these twins uh, just grow up. And I see that, you know, had we had kept our work in our life completely disintegrated, then Duncan would have lost his kids. And the way that would have affected our team would have been so devastating. But since we were so uh, integrated in this way, we've been able to to serve him uh, in a very unique way. I love that so much. I think we talk a lot in our culture and we've talked on this podcast about work-life balance, but I don't think that work-life balance necessitates being completely separate. I think having balance and fully integrating your social and personal and emotional and spiritual life with work is a super healthy thing to do. And it helps us achieve balance because we are one whole person. We're not divided up into segments internally. So I love that example so much. 
Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, even as you think more about like celebrate and mourning together, I mean, some of that is the, takes the form of going to, to weddings and funerals. And we've all been to our share of weddings and funerals, um, to be there and you can't just go to the, the, the weddings. Um, I mean, that's, those are the good times. You have to be with people when things are really, really hard, but also just this idea of, of celebrating life together is not just celebrating milestones, but I remember last year we took our staff out for our staff retreat into a national park. Our Kenyan staff live many in cases, just a few miles from these, these beautiful landscapes that are filled with these spectacular animals. And a lot of them had never seen an elephant in their life. And that's just what Kenya is known for. And so we said, why don't we do a retreat and we take our, take our staff out and do a safari one morning. And, um, they were just like kids on Christmas morning, watching lions for the first time and seeing elephants and, you know, did that cost us a little bit of money as an organization? Yes. Did it do wonders to build community and have that shared experience of enjoying life together on safari? Yes, it was absolutely worth it, uh, 10 times over. So I think there is so much value here that people miss in fostering that family dynamic on your team. And, uh, and that's really on the climb of Kilimanjaro. That was really what we had as well, that the people that we, uh, I was obviously climbing with my dad who I uh, knew and loved. Um, but also we built a quick rapport with the team and, and felt like these were people that we, we knew and we trusted to be able to lead us up this mountain. Well, those are such wonderful examples of, of how to create a really strong and lasting team. And really, when we think about sustaining an organization over time, whether it's a business or a nonprofit, it's not the product that's going to sustain it necessarily. It's not the, the market or the communication. It's the people. And so in order to truly sustain your organization, you've got to invest in your team. So we've got recruit the right people build the skills of how to be a team and then create a family dynamic among the team. So Justin, if you had a final takeaway for, for this portion of the podcast and for this episode in particular, what would that be? It would be that just people matter more than anything else that we do. And to think of our team as disposable or interchangeable parts in our mission to achieve whatever the goal that we've set out to achieve would be missing the point of, of what I believe we're here to do, where I think we're here to, to love, serve and know people and really care for them. And it doesn't mean that you keep people on your team who don't belong there because they're not in their best role where they're not able to contribute or there's no, they don't fit well with the team. There's always times when you have to make the hard decision of letting people go. But at the end of the day, uh, I believe that in many cases, God cares a lot more about uh, the people, um, whether it's on our team or the people that we serve, than, than whatever vision we have. And so I would just encourage those listening today to remember that, that people matter and we have a responsibility to our team to make them as effective as we possibly can, um, to, to treat them like that family dynamic and to, to know them well and, and, and love them and serve them. And um, and I think if we can do that piece well, we're going to build a very loyal and very high performing team that can go out and complete these visions that we've set out to do. Thanks so much, Justin. Um, what an inspiring episode. This is one of my favorite discussion topics and you've got such great insight into it. 
Um, that is all for this week. Next week, we've actually got a special episode because we have Cornell and Duncan, our Kenyan co-founders in the studio with us next week. So in the meantime, if you've got any questions for Justin or if you want to get in touch, visit justintmiller.com, engage with him on social media, and we look forward to talking with you next week. <laughs>